0: hello there, and welcome to episode 100 of Down to Sleep. If you would like to help me celebrate this milestone, then please just leave a positive review, a thumbs up, or five stars on whatever app you're listening on. Thank you so much, wherever you are in the world, for being a listener of Down to Sleep. I am about to hit two years of this podcast in January, and it's just wonderful to have so many people join me on these journeys with these wonderful books. I hope that it's helping, and that you're getting some great, great sleep. This is the free version of my podcast of Softly Spoken Stories that goes out once a week. I also have a YouTube at youtube.com slash down to sleep where episodes go out once a week and Patreon gets two episodes every week at patreon.com slash down to sleep. Let's go ahead and tuck you in and we'll begin with tonight's special story. Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits and their names were Flopsy Mopsy, Cottontail, and Peter. They lived with their mothers in a sandbank, underneath the root of a very big fir tree. Now, my dears, said old Mrs. Rabbit one morning, you may go into the fields or down the lane, but don't go into Mr. McGregor's garden. Your father had an accident there. He was put in a pie by Mrs. McGregor. Now run along. "'and don't get into mischief while I'm going out.' "'Then old Mrs. Rabbit took a basket and her umbrella "'and went through the wood to the baker's. "'She bought a loaf of brown bread and five currant buns. "'Flopsy, Mopsy, and Cottontail, who were good little bunnies, "'went down the lane to gather blackberries. "'But Peter, who was very naughty, "'ran straight away to Mr. McGregor's garden,' and squeezed under the gate. First, he ate some lettuces and some French beans, and then he ate some radishes. And then, feeling rather sick, he went to look for some parsley. But round the end of a cucumber frame, whom should he meet but Mr. McGregor? Mr. McGregor was on his hands and knees planting out young cabbages, but he jumped up and ran after Peter. Peter waving a rake and calling out, Stop! Thief! Peter was most dreadfully frightened. He rushed all over the garden, for he had forgotten the way back to the gate. He lost one of his shoes among the cabbages and the other shoe amongst the potatoes. After losing them, he ran on four legs and went faster, so that I think he might have got away altogether if he had not unfortunately run into a gooseberry net. He got caught by the large buttons on his jacket. It was a blue jacket with brass buttons, quite new. Peter gave himself up for lost and shed big tears. His sobs were overheard by some friendly sparrows who flew to him in great excitement and implored him to exert himself Mr. McGregor came up with a sieve which he intended to pop upon the top of Peter, but Peter wriggled out just in time, leaving his jacket behind him. He rushed into the tool shed and jumped into a can. It would have been a beautiful thing to hide in if it had not had so much water in it. Mr. McGregor was quite sure that Peter was somewhere in the tool shed perhaps hidden underneath a flowerpot. He began to turn them over carefully, looking under each. Presently, Peter sneezed. Mr. McGregor was after him in no time. He tried to put his foot upon Peter, who jumped out of a window, upsetting three plants. The window was too small for Mr. McGregor, and he was tired of running after Peter. He went back to his work. Peter sat down to rest. He was out of breath, trembling with fright. He had not the least idea which way to go. Also, he was very damp with sitting in that can. After a time, he began to wander about, going lippity-lippity, not very fast looking around he found a door in a wall but it was locked there was no room for a fat little rabbit to squeeze underneath an old mouse was running in and out over the stone doorstep carrying peas and beans to her family in the wood Peter asked her the way to the gate but she had such a large pea in her mouth that she could not answer she only shook her head and Peter began to cry He tried to find his way straight across the garden, but he became more and more puzzled. Presently, he came to a pond where Mr. McGregor filled his water cans. A white cat was staring at some goldfish. She sat very, very still, but now and then, the tip of her tail twitched as if it were alive. Peter thought it best to go away without speaking to her. He had heard about cats from his cousin, little Benjamin Bunny. He went back towards the tool shed, but suddenly, quite close to him, he heard the noise of a hoe. scratch, 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 scratch. Peter scuttered underneath the bushes, but presently, as nothing happened, he came out, climbed upon a wheelbarrow, and peeked over. The first thing he saw was Mr. McGregor hoeing onions. His back was turned towards Peter and beyond him was the gate. Peter got down very quietly off of the wheelbarrow and started running as fast as he could along a straight walk behind some blackcurrant bushes. Mr. McGregor caught sight of him at the corner, but Peter did not care. He slipped underneath the gate and was safe at last in the wood outside the garden. Mr. McGregor hung up the little jacket and the shoes for a scarecrow to frighten the blackbirds. Peter never stopped running or looked behind him till he got home to the big fir tree. He was so tired, he flopped down upon the nice soft sand on the floor of the rabbit hole and shut his eyes. His mother was busy cooking. She wondered what he had done with his clothes. It was the second little jacket and pair of shoes that Peter had lost in a fortnight. I'm sorry to say that Peter was not very well during the evening. His mother put him to bed and made him some chamomile tea, and she gave a dose of it to Peter. One tablespoonful to be taken at bedtime. But Flopsy, Mopsy, and Cottontail had bread and milk and blackberries for supper. The end. The Tale of Jemima Puddle Duck by Beatrix Potter. What a funny sight it is to see a brood of ducklings with a hen. Listen to the story of Jemima Puddle Duck, who was annoyed because the farmer's wife would not let her hatch her own eggs. Her sister in law, Mrs. Rebecca Puddle Duck, was perfectly willing to leave the hatching to someone else. I have not the patience to sit on a nest for 28 days, and no more have you, Jemima. You would let them go cold. You know you would. I wish to hatch my own eggs. I will hatch them all by myself, quacked Jemima Puddle Duck. She tried to hide her eggs, but they were always found and carried off. Jemima Puddle Duck became quite desperate. She determined to make a nest away from the farm. She set off on a fine spring afternoon along the cart road that leads over the hill. She was wearing a shawl and a bonnet. When she reached the top of the hill, she saw a wood in the distance. She thought it looked like a safe spot. Jemima Puddleduck was not much in the habit of flying. She ran downhill a few yards, flapping her shawl, and then she jumped off into the air. She flew beautifully when she had a good start. She skimmed along over the treetops until she saw an open place in the middle of the wood, where the trees and brushwood had been cleared. Jemima alighted rather heavily and began to waddle about in search of a convenient, dry nesting place. She rather fancied a tree stump amongst some tall foxgloves. But seated upon the stump, she was startled to find an elegantly dressed gentleman reading a newspaper he had black prick ears and sandy colored whiskers quack said jemima puddled with her head and her bonnet on one side quack the gentleman raised his eyes above his newspaper and looked curiously at jemima madam have you lost your way said he He had a long bushy tail which he was sitting upon as the stump was somewhat damp. Jemima thought him mighty civil and handsome. She explained that she had not lost her way, but that she was trying to find a convenient dry nesting place. Ah, is that so, indeed, said the gentleman with sandy whiskers, looking curiously at Jemima. He folded up the newspaper and put it in his coattail pocket. Jemima complained of the superfluous hen. Indeed, how interesting. I wish I could meet with that fowl. I would teach it to mind its own business. But as to a nest, there is no difficulty. I have a sack full of feathers in my woodshed. No, my dear madam, you will be in nobody's way. You may sit there as long as you like, said the bushy, long-tailed gentleman. He led the way to a very retired, Dismal looking house amongst the foxgloves. It was built of sticks and turf, and there were two broken pails, one on top of another by way of a chimney. This is my summer residence. You would not find my earth, my winter house, so convenient, said the hospitable gentleman. There was a tumble down shed at the back of the house, made of old soap boxes. The gentleman opened the door and showed Jemima in. The shed was almost quite full of feathers. It was almost suffocating, but it was comfortable and very soft. Jemima Puddleduck was rather surprised to find such a vast quantity of feathers, but it was very comfortable, and she made a nest without any trouble at all. When she came out, the sandy, whiskered gentleman was sitting on a log reading the newspaper. At least he had it spread out, but he was looking over the top of it. He was so polite that he seemed almost sorry to let Jemima go home for the night. He promised to take great care of the nest until she came back the next day. He said he loved eggs and ducklings. He should be proud to see a fine nestful in the woodshed. Jemima Puddleduck came every afternoon. She laid nine eggs in the nest They were greeny-white and very large. The foxy gentleman admired them immensely. He used to turn them over and count them when Jemima was not there. At last, Jemima told him she intended to begin to sit next day. And I will bring a bag of corn with me so that I need never leave my nest until the eggs are hatched. They might catch cold, said the conscientious Jemima. "'Madam, I beg you not to trouble yourself with a bag. "'I will provide oats. "'But before you commence your tedious sitting, "'I intend to give you a treat. "'Let us have a dinner party, all to ourselves. "'May I ask you to bring up some herbs from the farm garden "'to make a savoury omelette? "'Sage and thyme and mint and two onions and some parsley. "'I will provide lard for the stuff, lard for the omelette said the hospitable gentleman with sandy whiskers. Jemima Puddle Duck was not a simpleton. Not even the mention of sage and onions made her suspicious. She went round the farm garden, nibbling off snippets of all the different sorts of herbs that are used for stuffing roast duck. She waddled into the kitchen and got two onions out of a basket. The collie dog, Kep, met her coming out. What are you doing with those onions? Where do you go every afternoon by yourself, Jemima Puddle Duck? Jemima was rather in awe of the collie. She told him the whole story. The collie listened with his wise head on one side. He grinned when she described the polite gentleman with sandy whiskers. He asked several questions about the wood and about the exact position of the house and shed. Then he went out, trotted down the village, and he went to look for two foxhound puppies who were out at walk with the butcher. Jemima Puddleduck went up the cart road for the last time on a sunny afternoon. She was rather burdened with bunches of herbs and two onions in a bag. She flew over the wood and alighted opposite the house of the bushy, long-tailed gentleman. He was sitting on a log. He sniffed the air and kept glancing uneasily round the wood. When Jemima alighted, he quite jumped. Come into the house. As soon as you've looked at your eggs, give me the herbs for the omelette to be sharp. He was rather abrupt. Jemima Puddleduck had never heard him speak like that. She felt surprised and uncomfortable. While she was inside, she heard pattering feet round the back of the shed. Someone with a black nose sniffed at the bottom of the door, and then locked it. Jemima became much alarmed. A moment afterwards, there were the most awful noises. Barking, baying, growls and howls, squealing and groans. And nothing more was ever seen of that foxy, whiskered gentleman. Presently, Kep opened the door of the shed and let out Jemima Puddle Duck. Unfortunately, the puppies rushed in and gobbled up the eggs before he could stop them. He had a bite on his ear, and both the puppies were limping. Jemima Puddle Duck was escorted home in tears on account of those eggs. She laid some more in June, and she was permitted to keep them herself, but only four of them hatched. Jemima Puddle Duck said it was because of her nerves but she had always been a bad sitter. The Tale of Mr. Jeremy Fisher by Beatrix Potter Once upon a time, there was a frog called Mr. Jeremy Fisher. He lived in a little damp house amongst the buttercups at the edge of a pond, The water was all slippy, sloppy in the larder and in the back passage, but Mr. Jeremy liked getting his feet wet. Nobody ever scolded him, and he never caught a cold. He was quite pleased when he looked out and saw large drops of rain splashing in the pond. I will get some worms and go fishing and catch a dish of minnows for my dinner, said Mr. Jeremy Fisher. "'If I catch more than five fish, I will invite my friends, "'Mr. Alderman Ptolemy, Tortoise, and Sir Isaac Newton. "'The alderman, however, eats salad.' "'Mr. Jeremy put on a Macintosh and a pair of shiny galoshes. "'He took his rod and basket and set off with enormous hops "'to the place where he kept his boat. "'The boat was round and green, and very like the other lily-leaves.' It was tied to a water plant in the middle of the pond. Mr. Jeremy took a reed pole and pushed the boat out into open water. I know a good place for minnows, said Mr. Jeremy Fisher. Mr. Jeremy stuck his pole into the mud and fastened the boat to it. He settled himself, cross-legged, and arranged his fishing tackle. He had the dearest little red float his rod was a tough stalk of grass. His line was a fine long white horsehair, and he tied a little wriggling worm at the end. The rain trickled down his back, and for nearly an hour he stared at the float. "'This is getting tiresome. I think I should like some lunch,' said Mr. Jeremy Fisher. He punted back again amongst the water plants and took some lunch out of his basket.' "'I will eat a butterfly sandwich and wait till the shower is over,' said Mr. Jeremy Fisher. "'A great, big water beetle came up underneath the lily leaf and tweaked the toe of one of his galoshes. Mr. Jeremy crossed his legs up shorter, out of reach, and went on eating his sandwich. "'Once or twice, something moved about.' "'with a rustle and a splash amongst the rushes at the side of the pond. "'I trust that's not a rat,' said Mr. Jeremy Fisher. "'I think I had better get away from here.' "'Mr. Jeremy shoved the boat out again a little way and dropped in the bait. "'There was a bite almost directly. "'The float gave a tremendous bobbit. "'A minnow! A minnow! I have him by the nose!' cried Mr. Jeremy Fisher, jerking up his rod." But what a horrible surprise! Instead of a smooth, fat minnow, Mr. Jeremy landed little Jack Sharp the Stickleback, covered with spines. The Stickleback floundered about the boat, pricking and snapping until he was quite out of breath. Then he jumped back into the water. And a shoal of other little fishes put their heads out and laughed at Mr. Jeremy Fisher. And while Mr. Jeremy sat on the edge of his boat, sucking his sore fingers and peering down into the water, a much worse thing happened. A really frightful thing it would have been if Mr. Jeremy had not been wearing a Macintosh. A great, big, enormous trout came up, ka-flop with a splash, and it seized Mr. Jeremy with a snap Ow, ow, ow. And then it turned and dived down to the bottom of the pond. But the trout was so displeased with the taste of the Macintosh that in less than half a minute it spat him out again. And the only thing it swallowed was Mr. Jeremy's galoshes. Mr. Jeremy bounced up to the surface of the water like a cork and the bubbles out of a soda water bottle. "'he swam with all his might to the edge of the pond. "'He scrambled out onto the first bank he came to, "'and he hopped home across the meadow with his Macintosh in tatters. "'What a mercy! That was not a pike,' said Mr. Jeremy Fisher. "'I've lost my rod and basket, but it does not much matter, "'for I am sure I should never have dared to go fishing again.' he put some sticking plaster on his fingers, and his friends came to dinner. He could not offer them fish, but he had something else in his larder. Sir Isaac Newton wore his black and gold waistcoat, and Mr. Alderman Ptolemy Tortoise brought a salad with him in a string bag. And instead of a nice dish of minnows, they had a roasted grasshopper with ladybird sauce which frogs consider a beautiful treat, but I think it must have been nasty. The End The Tale of Johnny Town Mouse by Beatrix Potter Johnny Town Mouse was born in a cupboard. Timmy Willie was born in a garden. Timmy Willie was a little country mouse who went to town by mistake in a hamper. The gardener sent vegetables to town once a week by carrier. He packed them in a big hamper. The gardener left the hamper by the garden gate so that the carrier could pick it up when he passed. Timmy Willy crept in through a hole in the wickerwork, and after eating some peas, Timmy Willy fell fast asleep. He awoke in a fright while the hamper was being lifted into the carrier's cart. "'Then there was a jolting and a clattering of horses' feet. "'Other packages were thrown in for miles and miles. "'Jolt, jolt, jolt. "'Timmy Willie trembled amongst the jumbled-up vegetables. "'At last the cart stopped at a house, "'where the hamper was taken out, carried in and sat down. "'The cook gave the carrier sixpence. "'The back door banged and the cart rumbled away. "'But there was no quiet.' There seemed to be hundreds of carts passing dogs barked boys whistled in the street the cook laughed the parlour maid ran up and down the stairs and a canary sang like a steam engine timmy willie who had lived all of his life in a garden was almost frightened to death presently the cook opened the hamper and began to unpack the vegetables out sprang terrified timmy willie "'Up jumped the cook on a chair, exclaiming, "'A mouse! A mouse! Call the cat! Fetch me the poker!' "'Timmy Willie did not wait for Sarah with the poker. "'He rushed along the skirting board till he came to a little hole in. "'He popped. "'He dropped half a foot and crashed into the middle of a mouse dinner party, "'breaking three glasses. "'Who in the world is this?' inquired Johnny Townmouse. "'But after the first exclamation of surprise he instantly recovered his manners. With the utmost politeness, he introduced Timmy Willie to nine other mice, all with long tails and white neckties. Timmy Willie's own tail was insignificant. Johnny Townmouse and his friends noticed it, but they were too well-bred to make personal remarks. Only one of them asked Timmy Willie if he had ever been in a trap. The dinner Was of eight courses, not much of anything, but truly elegant. All the dishes were unknown to Timmy Willie, who would have been a little afraid of tasting them, only he was very hungry and very anxious to behave with company manners. The continual noise upstairs made him so nervous. He dropped a plate. "'Never mind. They don't belong to us,' said Johnny. "'Why don't those youngsters come back with the dessert?' It should be explained that two young mice who were waiting on the others were skirmishing upstairs to the kitchen between courses. Several times they came tumbling in, squeaking and laughing. Timmy Willie learnt with horror that they were being chased by the cat. His appetite failed. He felt faint. Try some jelly, said Johnny Townmouse. No. Would you rather go to bed? I'll show you a most comfortable sofa pillow. The sofa pillow had a hole in it. Johnny Townmouse quite honestly recommended it as the best bed, kept exclusively for visitors. But the sofa smelt of cat. Timmy Willie preferred to spend a miserable night under the fender. It was just the same next day. An excellent breakfast was provided for mice accustomed to eat bacon. But Timmy Willie had been reared on roots and salad. Johnny Townmouse and his friends racketed about under the floors and came boldly out all over the house in the evening. One particularly loud crash had been caused by Sarah tumbling downstairs with the tea tray. There were crumbs and sugar, smears of jam to be collected in spite of the cat. Timmy Willie longed to be at home in his peaceful nest in a sunny bank. The food disagreed with him. The noise prevented him from sleeping. In a few days, he grew so thin that Johnny Townmouse noticed it and questioned him. He listened to Timmy Willie's story and inquired about the garden. Sounds rather a dull place. What do you do when it rains? When it rains, I sit in my little sandy burrow and shell corn and seeds from my autumn store. I peep out at the throstles and blackbirds on the lawn my friend Cock Robin, And when the sun comes out again, you should see my garden and the flowers. Roses, pinks and pansies. No noise, except the birds and bees and the lambs in the meadows. There goes that cat again, exclaimed Johnny Town Mouse. When they had taken refuge in the coal cellar, he resumed the conversation. I confess, I am a little disappointed. We've endeavoured to entertain you, Timothy William. Oh yes, yes, you, you have been most kind. But I do feel so ill, said Timmy Willie. It may be that your teeth and digestion are unaccustomed to our food. Perhaps it might be wiser for you to return in the hamper. Oh, oh, cried Timmy Willie. "'Why, of course, for the matter of that we could have sent you back last week,' said Johnny rather huffily. "'Did you not know that the hamper goes back empty on Saturdays?' So Timmy Willie said goodbye to his new friends, and hid in the hamper with the crumb of a cake and a withered cabbage leaf, and after much jolting he was set down safely in his own garden. Sometimes on Saturdays he went to look at the hamper lying by the gate— But he knew better than to get in again, and nobody got out, though Johnny Townmouse had half-promised to visit. The winter passed. The sun came out again. Timmy Willie sat by his burrow, warming his little fur coat, sniffing the smell of violets and spring grass. He had nearly forgotten his visit to town when up the sandy path, all spick and span with a brown leather bag, came Johnny Townmouse. Timmy Willie received him with open arms. "'You have come at the best of all the year. We will have herb pudding and sit in the sun.' Hmm. It is a little damp,' said Johnny Townmouse, who was carrying his tail under his arm out of the mud." "'What is that fearful noise?' he started violently. "'That,' said Timmy Willie. "'It's only a cow. "'I'll beg a little milk. "'They're quite harmless, unless they happen to lie down on you. "'How are all our friends?' Johnny's account was rather middling. He explained why he was paying his visit so early in the season. The family had gone to the seaside for Easter. The cook was doing spring cleaning.' on-board wages with particular instructions to clear out the mice. There were four kittens and the cat had killed the canary. They say we did it, but I know better, said Johnny Townmouse. Whatever is that fearful racket? That's only the lawn mower. I'll fetch some of the grass clippings presently to make your bed. I'm sure you had better settle in the country, Johnny. Hm. we shall see by Tuesday week. The hamper is stopped while they're at the seaside. I'm sure you'll never want to live in town again, said Timmy Willie. But he did. He went back in the very next hamper of vegetables. He said it was too quiet. One place suits one person, another place suits another person. For my part, I prefer to live in the country like Timmy Willie. The end. The Tale of Benjamin Bunny by Beatrix Potter One morning, a little rabbit sat on a bank. He pricked his ears and listened to the trit-trot-trit-trot of a pony. A gig was coming along the road. It was driven by Mr. McGregor, and beside him sat Mrs. McGregor in her best bonnet as soon as they had passed little Benjamin Bunny slid down into the road and set off with a hop skip and a jump to call upon his relations who lived in the wood at the back of Mr. McGregor's garden that wood was full of rabbit holes and in the neatest sandiest hole of all lived Benjamin's aunt and his cousins Flopsy, Mopsy, Cottontail and Peter. Old Mrs. Rabbit was a widow. She earned her living by knitting rabbit wool mittens and muffetees. I once bought a pair at a bazaar. She also sold herbs and a rosemary tea and rabbit tobacco, which is what we call lavender. Little Benjamin did not very much want to see his aunt. He came round the back of the fir tree and nearly tumbled upon the top of his cousin Peter. Peter was sitting by himself. He looked poorly, and was dressed in a red cotton pocket handkerchief. "'Peter,' said little Benjamin in a whisper, "'who's got your clothes?' Peter replied, "'The Scarecrow, in Mr. McGregor's garden, "'and described how he had been chased about the garden.' and dropped his shoes and coat. Little Benjamin sat down beside his cousin and assured him that Mr. McGregor had gone out in a gig, and Mrs. McGregor also, certainly for the day, because she was wearing her best bonnet. Peter said he hoped that it would rain. At this point, old Mrs. Rabbit's voice was heard inside the rabbit hole, calling, Cottontail, Cottontail, fetch some more chamomile. Peter said he thought he might feel better if he went for a walk. They went away hand in hand and got upon the flat top of the wall at the bottom of the wood. From here they looked down into Mr. McGregor's garden. Peter's coat and shoes were plainly to be seen upon the scarecrow, topped with an old tamashanter of Mr. McGregor's. Little Benjamin said, it spoils people's clothes to squeeze under a gate. The proper way to get in is to climb down a pear tree. Peter fell down head first, but it was of no consequence. The bed below was newly raked and quite soft. It had been sewn with lettuces. They left a great many odd little footmarks all over the bed, especially little Benjamin, who was wearing clogs. Little Benjamin said that the first thing to be done was to get back Peter's clothes, in order that they might be able to use the pocket handkerchief. They took them off the Scarecrow. There had been rain during the night. There was water in the shoes. The coat was somewhat shrunk. Benjamin tried on the tamashanter, but it was too big for him. He suggested that they should fill the pocket handkerchief with onions as a little present for his aunt. Peter did not seem to be enjoying himself. He kept hearing noises. Benjamin, on the contrary, was perfectly at home and ate a lettuce leaf. He said he was in the habit of coming to the garden with his father to get lettuces for Sunday dinner. The name of little Benjamin's papa was Old Mr. Benjamin Bunny. The lettuces certainly were very fine. Peter did not eat anything. He said he should like to go home. Presently, he dropped half the onions. Little Benjamin said that it was not possible to get back up the pear tree with a load of vegetables. He led the way boldly towards the other end of the garden. They went along a little walk on planks under a sunny red brick wall. The mice sat on the doorsteps, cracking cherry stones. They winked at Peter Rabbit and Little Benjamin Bunny. Presently, Peter let the pocket handkerchief go again. They got amongst flower pots and frames and tubs. Peter heard noises worse than ever. His eyes were as big as lollipops. He was a step or two in front of his cousin when he suddenly stopped. Around the corner, those little rabbits saw a cat. Little Benjamin took one look, and then, in half a minute less than no time, he hid himself and Peter and the onions underneath a large basket. The cat got up and stretched herself and came and sniffed at the basket. Perhaps she liked the smell of onions... Anyway, she sat down on the top of the basket. She sat there for five hours. I cannot draw you a picture of Peter and Benjamin underneath the basket because it was quite dark and because the smell of the onions was fearful. It made Peter Rabbit and little Benjamin cry. The sun got round behind the wood. It was quite late in the afternoon but still the cat sat upon the basket. At length there was a pitter patter, pitter patter. Some bits of mortar fell from the wall above. The cat looked up and saw old Mr. Benjamin Bunny prancing along the top of the wall of the upper terrace. He was smoking a pipe of rabbit tobacco and had a little switch in his hand. He was looking for his son. Old Mr. Bunny had no opinion whatever of cats. He took a tremendous jump off the top of the wall onto the top of the cat and cuffed it off the basket, kicked it into the greenhouse, scratching off a handful of fur. The cat was much too surprised to scratch back. When old Mr. Bunny had driven the cat into the greenhouse, he locked the door. He came back to the basket and took out his son Benjamin by the ears and whipped him with the switch. Then he took out his nephew Peter. He took the handkerchief of onions and marched out of the garden. When Mr. McGregor returned about half an hour later, he observed several things which perplexed him. It looked as though some person had been walking. All over the garden in a pair of clocks. Only the footmarks were ridiculously little. He could not understand how the cat could have managed to shut herself inside the greenhouse, locking the door on the outside. When Peter got home, his mother forgave him. She was so glad to see that he had found his shoes and his coat. Cottontail and Peter folded up the pocket handkerchief, and old Mrs. Rabbit strung up the onions, and hung them from the kitchen ceiling, with bunches of herbs, and the rabbit tobacco. The End The Tale of Tom Kitten Once upon a time, there were three little kittens, and their names were Mittens Tom Kitten and Moppet. They had dear little fur coats of their own, and they tumbled about the doorstep and played in the dust. One day, their mother, Mrs. Tabitha Twitchit, expected friends to tea, so she fetched the kittens indoors to wash and dress them before the fine company arrived. First, she scrubbed their faces. Then... She brushed their fur. Then she combed their tails and whiskers. Tom was very naughty, and he scratched. Mrs. Tabitha dressed Moppet and Mittens in clean pinafores and tuckers, and she took all sorts of elegant, uncomfortable clothes out of the chest of drawers in order to dress up her son, Thomas. Tom Kitten was very fat, he had grown, several buttons burst off. His mother sewed them on again. When the three kittens were ready, Mrs. Tabitha unwisely turned them out into the garden, to be out of the way while she made hot buttered toast. Keep your frocks clean, children. You must walk on your hind legs. Keep away from the dirty ash pit, and from Sally Hennypenny, and from the pigsty, and the puddle ducks. Moppet and Mittens walked down the garden path unsteadily. Presently they trod upon their pinafores and fell on their noses. When they stood up, there were several green smears. Let's climb up the rockery and sit on the garden wall, said Moppet. They turned their pinafores back to front, and went up with a skip, and a jump. Moppet's white tucker fell down into the road. Tom Kitten was quite unable to jump when walking upon his hind legs in trousers. He came up the rockery by degrees, breaking the ferns and shedding buttons left and right. He was all in pieces when he reached the top of the wall. Moppet and Mittens tried to pull him together. His Hat fell off, and the rest of his buttons burst. While they were in difficulties, there was a pit-pat-paddle-pat, and the three puddle ducks came along the hard high road, marching one behind the other, doing the goose step. Pit-pat-paddle-pat, pit-pat-waddle-pat. They stopped and stood in a row they stared up at the kittens. They had very small eyes and looked surprised. The two duck birds, Rebecca and Jemima Puddle Duck, picked up the hat and Tucker and put them on. Mittens laughed so that she fell off the wall. Moppet and Tom descended after her. The pinafores and all the rest of Tom's clothes came off on the way down. Come, Mr. Drake Puddleduck, said Moppet. Come and help us to dress him. Come and button up Tom. Mr. Drake Puddleduck advanced in a slow, sideways manner, picking up the various articles. But he put them on himself. They fit him even worse than Tom Kitten. It's a very fine morning, said Mr. Drake Puddleduck. He and Jemima and Rebecca Puddle Duck set off up the road, keeping step. Pit, pat, paddle, pat, pit, pat, waddle, pat. Tabitha Twitchit came down the garden and found her kittens on the wall with no clothes on. She pulled them off the wall and smacked them and took them back to the house. My friends will arrive in a minute. And you are not fit to be seen. I am affronted, said Mrs. Tabitha Twitchit. She sent them upstairs, and I'm sorry to say that she told her friends they were in bed with the measles, which was not true. Quite the contrary, they were not in bed, not in the least. Somehow, there were extraordinary noises overhead which disturbed the dignity and repose of the tea party. I think someday I shall have to make another larger book to tell you more about Tom Kitten. As for the Puddle Ducks, they went into a pond. The clothes all came off directly, because there were no buttons. Mr. Drake Puddle Duck and Jemima and Rebecca I've been looking for them ever since. The end. The tale of Mrs. Tiggywinkle. Once upon a time there was a little girl called Lucy, who lived at a farm called Little Town. She was a good little girl, only she was always losing her pocket handkerchiefs. One day little Lucy came into the farmyard crying. Oh, she did cry so. I've lost my pocket hankin. Three hankins and a pinny. Have you seen them, Tabby Kitten? The kitten went on washing her white paws. So Lucy asked a speckled hen. Sally Henny Penny, have you found three pocket hankins? The speckled hen ran into a barn, clucking. I go barefoot, barefoot, barefoot. And then Lucy asked Cock Robin sitting on a twig. Cock Robin looked sideways at Lucy with his bright black eye, and he flew over a stile and away. Lucy climbed up on the stile and looked up at the hill behind Little Town. A hill that goes up, up into the clouds as though it had no top. A great way up the hillside, she thought she saw some white things spread upon the grass. Lucy scrambled up the hill as fast as her stout legs would carry her. She ran along a steep pathway, up and up, until Little Town was right away down below. She could have dropped a pebble down the chimney. Presently, she came to a spring, bubbling out from the hillside. Someone had stood a tin can upon a stone to catch the water, but the water was already running over. The can was no bigger than an egg cup. Where the sand upon the path was wet, there were footmarks of a very small person. Lucy ran on and on. The path ended under a big rock. The grass was short and green. there were clothes, props cut from bracken stems with lines of pleated rushes, heaps of tiny clothespins, but no pocket handkerchiefs. But there was something else. A door, straight into the hill. Inside it, someone was singing. Lily-white and clean with little frills between. Smooth and hot, red rusty spot, never here be seen. Lucy knocked once, twice, and interrupted the song. A little frightened voice called out, Who's that? Lucy opened the door, and what do you think there was inside the hill? A nice, clean kitchen, with a flagged floor, and wooden beams just like any other farm kitchen only the ceiling was so low that Lucy's head nearly touched it the pots and the pans were small and so was everything there was a nice hot singy smell and at the table with an iron in her hand stood a very stout short person staring anxiously at Lucy her print gown was tucked up she was wearing a large apron over her striped petticoat her little black nose went sniffle, sniffle, snuffle and her eyes went twinkle, twinkle underneath her cap where Lucy had yellow curls this little person had prickles who are you? said Lucy "'Have you seen my pocket hankins?' "'The little person made a bob curtsy. "'Oh, yes, if you please. M- m- "'My name's Mrs. Tiggywinkle. "'Yes, if you please, Em, "'I'm an excellent clear starcher.' "'She took something out of a clothes basket "'and spread it on the ironing blanket. "'What's that thing?' said Lucy. "'That's not my pocket hankin.' "'Oh, no, if you please, Em. "'That's a little scarlet waistcoat. "'It belongs to Cock Robin.' "'She ironed it and folded it and put it on one side. "'She took something else off of a clothes horse. "'That isn't my penny," said Lucy. "'Oh no, if you please Em, "'That's a damask tablecloth. "'It belongs to Jenny Wren. "'Look how it is stained with currant wine. "'It's very bad to wash,' said Mrs. Tickywinkle. Mrs. Tiggywinkle's nose went sniffle, sniffle, snuffle. Her eyes went twinkle, twinkle. She fetched another hot iron from the fire. "'There's one of my pocket handkins," cried Lucy. "'And there's my pinny.' Mrs. Tiggywinkle ironed it, goffered it, and shook out the frills. "'Oh, that is lovely,' said Lucy. "'What are those yellow things with fingers?' Like gloves. Oh, that's a pair of stockings. Belongs to Sally Hennypenny. Look how she's worn the heels out scratching in the yard. She'll very soon go barefoot, said Mrs. Tickywinkle. Why, there's another hanker sniff, but it isn't mine. It's red. Oh, no, if you please, Em. Um, that one belongs to Mrs. Rabbit. It did so smell of onions. I've had to wash it separately. I can't get out the smell. There's another one of mine, said Lucy. What are those funny little white things? That's a pair of mittens, belonging to Tabby Kitten. I've only to iron them, but she washes them herself. There's my last pocket handkin, said Lucy. What are you dipping into that basin of starch? they little dicky shirt fronts. "'They belong to Tom Titmouse, most terrible particular. "'Now I've finished my ironing, I'm going to air some clothes,' said Mrs. Tickywinkle. "'What are those dear soft fluffy things?' said Lucy. "'Those are woolly coats. They belong to the little lambs.' "'Will their jackets take off?' asked Lucy. "'Oh yes, if you please them. Look at the sheep mark on the shoulder.' Here's one marked for Gatesgarth and three that come from a little town. They're always marked at washing. She hung up all sorts and sizes of clothes. Small brown coats of mice, one velvety black moleskin, a waistcoat, a red tail coat with no tail belonging to Squirrel Nutkin, and a very much shrunk blue jacket belonging to Peter Rabbit petticoat, not marked, had gone lost in the washing, and at last the basket was empty. Then Mrs. Tiggywinkle made tea, a cup for herself and a cup for Lucy. They sat before the fire on a bench and looked sideways at one another. Mrs. Tiggywinkle's hand holding the teacup was very brown and very, very wrinkly, with the soap suds. All through her gown and her cap, there were hairpins sticking the wrong end out. Lucy didn't like to sit too near her. When they had finished tea, they tied up the clothes in bundles, and Lucy's pocket handkerchiefs were folded inside her clean pinny, fastened with a silver safety pin. They made up the fire with turf, came out and locked the door, and hid the key under the door sill. Away down the hill trotted Lucy and Mrs. Tikiwinkle with the bundle of clothes. All the way down the path, little animals came out of the fern to meet them. The very first they met were Peter Rabbit and Benjamin Bunny. She gave them their nice clean clothes and all the little animals and birds were so very much obliged to dear Mrs. Tiggywinkle. At the bottom of the hill, when they came to the stile, there was nothing left to carry except Lucy's one little bundle. Lucy scrambled up the stile with the bundle in her hand. She turned to say goodnight, to thank the washerwoman. But what a very odd thing. Mrs. Tickeywinkle had not waited either for thanks or for the washing bill. She was running, running, running up the hill. And where was her white-frilled cap? Where was her shawl, her gown, her petticoat? How small she had grown. How brown, covered with prickles. Mrs. Tiggywinkle was nothing but a hedgehog. Now, some people say that little Lucy had been asleep upon the stile, but how could she have found three clean pocket hankins and a penny pinned with a silver safety pin? And besides, I have seen that door into the back of the hill called Cat Bells. And besides, I am very well acquainted with dear Mrs. Winkle the end.